please be seated. And I would invite Rod Hanley to come on up here. Rod, who is uh, president and founder of Character That Counts. He speaks to men all over the United States, all over the world, has had uh, extensive time in the, uh, the major sports, uh, kind of speaking to, to men and women as they are in that profession. And uh, we've been blessed this weekend to hear from him. And we know you'll be blessed this morning as he brings the message. Let me pray for you, Ron, and uh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this man for his bride who has joined him here on this weekend. Thank you for their ministry in this, uh, in this congregation and uh, this country and around the world. We uh, know that you have put, given him a message for us. Lord, we want the whole thing. So speak clearly through the power of your Holy Spirit. May we hear him and may our feet be swift to follow those things that you lead us to do. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jerry. All right, we've had such a great time. Thank you for hosting us. And uh, it's always fun to travel with my wife. And, and uh, she's sitting there between Joe and Debbie. And Joe and Debbie hosted us in their home. And we just sure enjoyed our time with you. And of course, where would this weekend be without Bill Gross? I don't know where Bill's setting, but Bill was the mastermind. Uh, he was a, a one-man wrecking crew. He, uh, he did a great job. And uh, I don't know if you heard the news, but I was actually scheduled to fly out here. We were going to fly out here, but the, the issues that Southwest Airlines was battling with, we elected to go ahead and drive because we wanted to make sure this weekend happened. We didn't want to put Bill through another year of planning and preparing. And Bill, the, the, we're in the rearview rear mirror now. You're going to be out of here, and you can move on to bigger and better things. And then, of course, Dr. Jerry sure enjoyed him. And we discovered yesterday... Uh, a lot of mutual friends that we have and, and uh, just a kindred spirit. And, and I love what I see here at Bethel. You guys are really doing a great job. And I can't wait to do the service at the park today. And uh, by the way, um, if you don't want to hear me twice, don't come to the park uh, or, or show up late and have, have food because I'm going to preach the same message to that group of people that you're going to hear today as well. I also, uh, uh, and, and Joe, Joe encouraged me to do this. So this is all Joe's fault. But uh, I carried uh, this weekend with me this photo, and one of the guys in my men's study is, uh, well, he was born here in Columbus, and according to him, I didn't know that this was true or not when I, when I arrived here, but he claimed that his uncle Wilmer, Wilmer Isabel, scored the first touchdown in Ohio Stadium history in 1922. And uh, that was his claim uh, and thankfully, Janice and John uh, have validated that story completely. Uh, in fact, we now have uh, recorded documentation that I'm taking back to my friend in Missouri to validate that his story is not folklore. It is the truth. Uh, his Uncle Wilmer is legendary, and this is uh, the evidence and the proof of that. So thank you, John and Janice, for providing me the, the truth. And I'm thrilled to take this back to him. By the way, uh, that, that, uh, that he scored in the second game, third quarter. He punched it in on a fourth and one to score this first touchdown in Ohio Stadium history. So now we know it's all true. All right, there we go. And I was also told by Joe that if I said the words or said the letters O-H, you would know what to do next. So O-H. Okay, there you go. So now, now we're legit. Okay, here we go. So... Um, Jerry, Pastor Jerry has been preaching on, as I understand, over the last number of weeks, maybe months, 
uh, this question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And, he's, and, and with a twist, he's, he's basically reframed the question, say, who does Christ say that you are? And so today I want to just kind of give my take on that by asking you the question, who are you and whose are you? So who are you? Who are you? And let me tell you about someone who wanted to be something that he was not. Uh, maybe you heard this story. It's truck driver Larry Walters. Uh, he, wanted to be, uh, he wanted to fly, but he didn't have the resources to fly. And so oftentimes he would sit in his backyard in Los Angeles and he would dream that he could do so. Uh, he didn't have the fin financial means to take flying lessons, so he devised his own plan and it all culminated on July 2nd of 1982. If you want to validate this story, just go to YouTube, type in Larry Walters, July 2nd, 82, and you can see what I'm about to tell you. Um, on that summer afternoon, Walters went inside, got some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, a CB radio, and a pellet gun. He got 36 weather balloons and he filled them up with helium, and he took along a six-pack of beer just for, for, and you'll understand later why he did that. Uh, he attached those weather balloons to an aluminum lawn chair, and he thought in his mind, I'm just going to just elevate about 100 feet above the ground. I'm going to wave to my neighbors. They'll think this is fantastic. And then I'll shoot down the balloons and, and come back to the earth, and uh, my neighbors will think this is hilarious. Well, he tied those balloons up, and he headed off into space. He didn't go 100 feet up in the air, though. He eventually ended up 11,000 feet above the ground. And at that point, he realized he was in the, the approach corridor of the Los Angeles International Airport. A TWA pilot noticed him and radioed the, the control tower, and they began diverting aircraft so they would miss Larry. So Larry, at that point, decided it would be a good time to start shooting down those, uh, those balloons. But in the anxiousness of the whole oh, experience and the, and the anxiety he was feeling, he dropped the gun. Now... Fortunately, he had shot enough balloons to make a very slow descent back to Earth. And uh, during that time that he was descending, the, Lo the Los Angeles Police Department got involved. Uh, the media got involved. They're chasing Larry down, and eventually he landed. And they held a very, very impromptu press conference with a very, very nervous and, and uh, very uh, anxious young man, Larry Walters. And they asked him three questions. Larry, were you scared? He said, yes, I was scared. They said, Larry, would you do this again? He said, Larry, I would never, ever do that again. And then they asked a brilliant question, an awesome question. They said, Larry, why in the world did you do this? And Larry sat there for a minute or two and pondered the answer. And then he said this, well, you know, you just can't sit there. <laughs> you know, I like that answer. I like that answer. It's a brilliant answer because here's what Larry was saying. I want to become something. I want to do something with my life. Uh, maybe he didn't want to get famous overnight, but he wanted to do something and make a difference in this world. And I think to myself, you know, there's a lot of people just like that. Who, who are we and what do we want to do and what do we want to accomplish with this thing called life that's in front of us? You know, the issue of identity is a, is a huge issue. It's a huge issue. It was big in biblical times. Uh, it's still an issue of today. And recently, the Barner Research Group did a study. Uh, they did this during this COVID season. It just came out, their results. But they were looking at what is, 
what is the identity of man? And, 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 and even bigger, the identity of all people. What are people trying to do and what are tr people trying to be with their lives? And what's interesting about the study is they, they, they looked at every person above the age of 18. They looked at those that are in the church. They looked at those that are called unchurched, that don't have any church experience, but they also looked at people that are de-churched, that used to be involved with church or not. And they were asking these simple questions, what is going on with people? They were looking to try to understand the issues of masculinity, of femininity, and it was all based on the, the person of Jesus Christ and the teachings of the Bible. And they found, interestingly enough in their study, some undeniable shifts, generationally and otherwise, in how people are forging their way forward. Uh, and whether it is with their family, their career, their friendships, spiritual, mental health, uh, they realize this, that people need church, and they need uh, the body of Christ, and they need one another more than ever. That's what they discovered in this study. There's a huge identity issue, and they discovered that the number one area that we're plaguing people is this, is this simple subject of identity. They noted that there were six common things that every single person can identify with to try to discover who they are and whose they are. They discovered that the vast majority of people have experienced a father wound. Uh, they lack a vision for their life. They have unprocessed trauma. They have addictive habits. They, they, have, uh, they have, in many cases, no close intimate friends, and they're spiritually stuck. And because of those six things that are going on in their life, they're really struggling with who they are and whose they are. Now, before I talk about some of the present issues that we face, I thought it'd be appropriate to look back at a biblical character who also struggled with this very issue himself. He was a guy with an amazing backstory. He had a big personality. He, he possessed extraordinary skills and abilities. Uh, he had talents, and he also had this thing called superhuman strength. And by the way, in spite of his many mistakes, and they are vast, we're going to cover just a few of them today, uh, he also is listed miraculously in Hebrews chapter 11, in, the, in God's Hall of Fame, his Hall of Faith. He made it. It's hard to believe. His name was Samson. His story is found in the book of Judges, chapters 13 to 16. And in the summer of 2019, just prior to COVID beginning, I actually did a deep dive on his study. I did a deep look at his study uh, on his life, and I found out a lot of things about this man. Uh, and, and, and at the center of this whole story was he struggled with who he was and whose he was. Now, just to bring you up to speed, a little bit of the backdrop about this guy, when he arrived on the scene, Israel had, had had 40 consecutive years of losing to their arch enemies, the Philistines. Imagine, Buckeye fans, if you had, an, a, had a Big Ten opponent that for 40 straight years you had been slaughtered. You'd, I mean, it wouldn't be much of a rivalry, right, if you'd taken a beating like that. And that's kind of what was going on in Israel's day. The Philistines were beating them up bad. And so when Samson arrived on the scene, it was a new day, in, a new day in, their, in their world. Uh, and, and right from his birth, he was given the Nazarite vow, which was simply three things. He wasn't to take alcohol, no alcohol, no fermented drink. He was not to touch anything dead, and he also was to not cut his hair. Those are the, the vows of the, of the Nazarite. And uh, Samson grew up, though, um, as a rule breaker. In fact, he believed you break rules. And spoiler alert, guess what? All three of those things took place in his life. He broke 
the Nazarite vow. But he did have two things going for him. He had a huge calling on his life. God had obviously entrusted him with a lot of abilities. And he also had this amazing physical power. Here's a highlight reel of some of the things that he accomplished. He killed a lion with his bare hands. He killed 30 men by himself. He was agile. One day he caught 300 fox, tied them tail to tail, uh, fastened a torch to their tails, lit the torch, and burned up all the Philistine land. By himself, one day he killed a thousand Philistines with a, jaw, with a uh, donkey's jawbone. On another occasion, he pulled out a 700-pound gate out of the ground that was attached to two cemented posts, and he carried it off to a hill and celebrated and mocked and taunted his enemies. Uh, he knew he was strong. He knew he was tough. That was what his identity was, but folks, in the midst of all those wonderful things he was doing, he also was void of the deepest relationship that he needed, of a relationship with God. You see, he trusted himself. He trusted his own abilities. He stiff-armed everybody in his life. He, he didn't allow any voices of authority, whether it be his parents' voice or any friends' voices or, or most of all, the voice of God. And any time that something took place that was great, guess what? He took credit for it. He took credit for it. With Samson, uh, where he was lacking, and before I get too critical about who he was, uh, I want to remind all of us that there's a little bit of Samson in all of us, right? A little bit of, of that arrogance and that cockiness and that pride and uh, the anger issues that he possessed. Uh, and, and his greatest issue that troubled him, that he found himself in peril time and time again, was the issue of women. He had lust issues. In three different occasions, we know of, of, of Philistine women that got him in a heap of trouble. In fact, one of them led to ultimately the, his demise of losing his eyes when his eyes were gouged out, and he, was, he spent the last years of his life gr as a grinder, which was a very, very, very um, uh, a task that was low life. It, I mean, he was, he was crushed in his spirit. He, he was crushing his strength. Everything that was his identity had been taken away. And uh, as good as he was, and he, was, he did some miraculous things, guess what? He could not handle the issues of life. He could not handle all these things that were being hurled at him. And he was struggling with his identity, struggling with who he was. So let me fast forward to, to today's world and make a connection between what we see and what we can learn from Samson's life and what's happening in today's world. And again, according to some of the research that Barna put out about, about who people are, are striving and struggling to be. Uh, in fact, they say that we're struggling with what they call shallow identities. And that simply means this. They are defined solely by their hobbies and their financial status. And think about it. The traditional roles of men, primarily as a husband and a father, the roles for women as a wife and a mother, Guess what? They're in serious jeopardy in today's day. Uh, there's a new generation of young people who are coming into adulthood, and they are, and they are facing very loud voices. There's cult cultural challenges that exist. There's significant changes in our economy, in the workplace, with our family life, with our politics. Uh, there are dramatic, dramatic uh, 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 issues occurring with men's and women's roles and expectation, including general, uh, gender confusion. Uh, we're now living in an, an, a, an era and a time where the last I heard, there are 70 different gender uh, possibilities that people have. 
In fact, you may be seeing a six foot four blue eyed Caucasian man in front of you, but I could tell you, and you would not be able to debate it, that I'm actually a five foot two brown eyed Mongolian woman. I could tell you that, and you can't say anything because that's who I think I am. I mean, think about it. It's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy time. Uh, the definition of marriage, guess what, has changed for the first time in thousands of years. We now have a new definition in this world about, about what marriage is. Cohabitation has, has exploded for the first time in American history. Guess what? There's more unmarried adults than married adults. Sexual standards have dramatically changed. 61% of the, of, the, of the women who give birth under the age of 30 are now, uh, uh, are now born, those children are now born outside of marriage. Uh, there are over 7 million uh, men of working age who could work, but guess what, refuse to work. Uh, depression rates are up, suicide rates are up, porn usage is skyrocketing. COVID has, has promoted isolation. Uh, there are, we're living literally in a friendless culture where we make and break the rules at our own whim. We do whatever we want and no one can say anything. It's a, it's a very, very difficult time. And then when you think about the issues of the day, we're talking about things like toxic masculinity. We're talking about critical race theory. We're talking about Black Lives Matter. We're talking about LGBTQ. We're talking about fatherlessness. We're talking about social justice. Uh, and, and in the issue of fatherlessness, it's crazy. In 1960, 5% of boys and girls grew up without a father in a home. Today, we're growing up with 41% that don't have a father in the home. And so what do we do during these troubling times? How do we decipher and determine who we are and whose we are? How do we do that with all these voices, with all these agendas, with all these, uh, you know, the politics and everything? What, where do we go? Well, I want to propose this morning that we look biblical and not political, that we look to God's word for answers, that we look to his promises, to his, to his statements about who we are. And we, and, we, and we determine at heart, this is who the God of this world, the creator of this world, has called us to be and to become. You know, I oftentimes will call the, the Word of God the promise book. And one of the reasons I do that, uh, uh, people tell us who study, who study the Bible thoroughly that there are, get this, there are more than 5,000 promises in God's Word and statements about who we are. Uh, some people say that number is actually closer to 8,000. So there's somewhere between 5,000 and 8,000 promises that are contained there, telling us exactly who we are in Christ. But they also tell us this. Uh, this comes from the National Science Foundation, tells us that the average person, get this, and this is, again, hard to believe, but that, that there are 60,000 thoughts that are running through our minds every single day. 60,000 thoughts. And here's what they say. 80% of those thoughts that run through our mind are negative. So you do the math and you do the calculations. Uh, if you're the average person, 60,000 thoughts, 48,000 of those thoughts are negative. And, and, and that creates confusion. That creates disappointment. That creates heartache. That creates, uh, you know, just major depression. I mean, it, it, it can send us into a spiral so quickly. But God's word says something different. Philippians 4.8 tells us what we're supposed to think. 
It says this. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's what the Word of God tells us, that we need to eliminate the voices that are negative and critical and, 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 and telling us uh, who, we, who we were supposed to be. We need to say, what God, who do you say we are? And so identity has a two-part process. Step one is making sure we clearly understand who Jesus is and why a relationship with him is the most important thing we can have. I told the guys this weekend at our men's conference that, uh, that, 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 that religion is man's attempt to get to God, but relationship is God's attempt to get to man. He's not looking for a religious experience with us. He's looking for a relationship with us. And when we have a relationship with him, we begin to understand that Jesus is the only son of God, that he's part of the Trinity. He left the comforts of heaven and came to earth to be born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect, sinless life, to be the sacrificial lamb, to pay the penalty of sin for all mankind by dying on the cross for us, that he was buried but on the third day he rose again, and today he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He conquered death, and one day he will reign and rule forever. So step one is making sure you know who Jesus is and that you put your faith and hope in him. But second, the second step is realizing what the Bible says about who you are. You know him, but now do you know who you are? And there's literally an inexhaustible, and an infinite number of promises that God has made to you. And rather than give, going through all 5,000 or 8,000 of those reasons, I thought I would boil it down to just a very, very short list and give you just some really, really good news about who you really are and whose you really are. Our old programming, How I Feel and Think of Myself, has, is filled with lies. Here's one lie, that I am unlovable. But the truth in Christ is that you are very loved. The lie is, I'm unacceptable. But the truth in Christ, you are accepted. The lie is that you're unworthy. But the truth is in Christ is that you are righteous. The world says, the lie says that you're a failure. But in Christ, he says you're victorious. The world says you're anxious, you're frustrated, you're disappointed. In Christ, he says you can be content. The world says you are weak. Jesus says in Christ, you are strong. You're strong in Christ. The world says you're not smart, you're not good enough. Jesus says you have God's wisdom. The world says you're in bondage. Jesus says you are free. The world says I feel guilty. Jesus says you are totally forgiven. The world says there's nothing special about you, but God says you have the joy of the Lord. You are priceless. You have value. You are incredibly important. The world says you're condemned, and God says in Christ you're blameless. The, the world says you're alone. You can't do anything. God says you're never alone. You are never alone. The world says you can't reach God, and 
in Christ, he says, you have access to God. Anytime, anywhere, you're never, never void of a relationship with me. The world says, be afraid, be fearful. God says, no, you have authority. You have authority in Christ. The world says you have no confidence, and God says, I have all the confidence that I need. What a difference. Again, the messaging of the world and the messaging of God is totally, totally different. I want to I wanna close by sharing with you uh, what has become my uh, calling card, what has become my mantra. In the midst of me studying this whole thing about Samson, uh, and, and thinking back about, about what I was learning uh, in, in 2019, I came to the realization that, uh, that I was growing uh, older every day and I was growing weaker every day. Uh, looking at Samson, I was confronted with this, this strong man, and though he was strong physically, uh, I, also, I not only wanted to grow in my strength physically, but I also wanted to be strong spiritually. Uh, on the, on, on the growing old part, I couldn't change anything. I grow older every single day. But on the weak part, I thought, you know, there, what can I do to get stronger? And my wife will give testimony. I won't go into the, the stats. Some of you know I'm a stats guy. But since uh, July 31st of 2019, I've been doing daily push-ups and daily planks to try to rebuild my core, to try to get my back stronger, to help me tie my shoes without hurting and all those kind of things. And I got stronger physically over the last 27 months. Uh, uh, remarkably much, much stronger. I mean, I can, I can actually do uh, a pretty good set of push-ups now every single day. And, I, and my core's better. But the bigger thing that happened as a result of studying Samson is I became strong spiritually. And I stumbled upon something called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. It was written by... Uh, uh, well, let me tell you the backstory. A, a man in uh, 1980 in Rwanda was, uh, was very vocal about his faith. And uh, a group of people, very angry people, approached this guy and said, hey, uh, uh, if you, can, you will renounce your faith in, in Christ, uh, we'll let you live. And uh, he refused to do so. And so the next day he was executed. And when they were going through his belongings and picking up uh, you know, the things that he had left in his apartment, uh, they discovered this statement, which is called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. And uh, as part of my regimen, when I do my push-ups, I actually recite this thing every single day. And so, sir, I'm going to ask you to be my helper. In case uh, I stumble, in case I mess up, you can shout out where I'm at in that. You can sit down to do this. But I'm going to recite this, and this is, this is who I am in Christ now. It says these words, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I will look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. 
My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Did I get it? 100%. 100%. And I share that to say, this is who I am in Christ. The world can message me. The world can say what they want. I can believe crazy stuff. I can hear crazy stuff. But what I need to hear is who Christ says I am. And then simply believe who I am and whose I am. Dr. Jerry. Would you, would you pray for us that we would have that kind of vision here? Mm-hmm. So, Lord, I do pray that uh, as we think about just this message and the reality of what's happening in our world, there are so, these are such troubling and confusing times. It's, it's hard. It's hard to know how to be a man, how to be a woman, how to, how to, how to be a parent, how to manage our household, how to, how to love, how to, how to engage our community, how to, how, to, how to engage our churches. And Lord, I pray that the only voice we would hear would be your voice, that we would look to you and we would play to an audience of one, that we would be mindful of the leading of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of, of the Word of God, and Lord, that we would be uh, incredibly focused on being who you've called us to be in Christ, and we would believe the promises that you have for every single one of us. We are loved, we are accepted, we're forgiven, we have value. You have a plan for our life, a plan not to harm us, but a plan to give us a future and a hope. Lord, help us to believe that and to live that for your glory and your glory alone. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Rod. And uh, you go ahead and scoot out of here. So uh, during the last song, we, uh, a number of us will scoot out. But we're going to sing a hymn that will remind us that there's one that goes before us. So let us stand and sing, Lead On, O King Eternal.
As you leave this place, may you know that you do not leave it alone, that one goes before you, one who knows who you are and uh, whose desire is that you would know whose you are by faith. Go in peace to love and serve him. Amen.